It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Colts, your daily Indianapolis Colts podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome into your latest episode of Locked On Colts, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, your host, Evan Sattery, joined by Stephen Reed of Stampede Blue. We're here on a Monday night to recap the Colts' first win of the season. In the fourth week, they beat the Miami Dolphins 27-17. Really ugly first half, pretty explosive second half where they got a lot of points on the board. It was only a 7-3 score at halftime, ended up being 27-17. I think once the Colts got ahead by a couple of possessions, Stephen, I felt pretty comfortable, especially going against Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback who looks honestly like he's regressed being away from Frank Reich a little bit uh, out of the Colts offense. How are you doing on this Monday night? And also, what's your um, thoughts on this Colts win for the first time? Trying to get some momentum going here as they go towards the next Monday against the Baltimore Ravens. Hey, Evan, I am doing fantastic. I'm super excited. The Colts got a, a big win against Miami down on the road, which – Playing NFL is always hard. Uh, you know, there were some positives, there were some negatives, but, you know, regardless of win to win, and you take it, you learn from it, and you you move on to the next week. And I think that there's a lot of things that the Colts um, showed that they could do well. And like you said, once, once the Colts, honestly, like in my opinion, once the Colts got up by more than one possession, uh, so once they got up by more than eight points, I, I felt like they were going to win the game. Uh, because I have zero faith in Jacoby Brissett leading any kind of comeback, and it seems like that was proven. Although, throwing the ball up to Devontae Parker, maybe they should have done that a lot earlier because he was just feasting in the second half uh, when they just finally threw him the ball. Uh, But, yeah, I was happy that they didn't figure that out earlier in the game and that the Colts were able to hold off and hold off the uh, late charge from Miami and were able to complete a couple first downs and, and keep that clock going. So, able to make it a, a nice kind of relaxing victory, uh, which is what something we haven't got a chance to have this year and quite honestly haven't had a chance to have for a while. It seems like most of the Colts victories were, were pretty close over the past couple of years. Let me ask you this before we dive into some player performances here, maybe some guys who stood out in the positive or negative aspect. Do you think Sunday, yes, yesterday, was an impressive win for this Colts team? Because I'm kind of on the fence about it. I know it was a really good win, obviously, to get on the board here, get to 1-3 and three instead of 0-4. Oh 0-4 oh would have been a death sentence for this team this year, especially going into Baltimore probably being 0-5. Oh but I think if it was any other quarterback other than Jacoby Brissett, let's say they played like a Jimmy Garoppolo or even Tua Tagovailoa if he started on Sunday, I don't know if the Colts would have won that game because the offense was so sloppy early on. The defense obviously knew what Jacoby Brissett was doing. Brissett, we know, is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL as far as starting caliber goes. So I think they got pretty lucky there. But do you agree with that assessment that I think if any other team they would have played, if it was not Jacoby Brissett behind center, it would have been maybe a, a closer game or maybe a loss in the Colts? Because I feel like I, could, I came away from that game happy they won, but I came away kind of unimpressed by everything involved around it outside of that. 
Yeah, it, it to me it wasn't an impressive win. Um, I mean, you know, ultimately, like any win you get in the NFL is impressive, but it's it wasn't like spectacular. It didn't stand out. Uh, the first half was abysmal. It was funny. The Colts put out a three-minute highlight clip of Carson Wentz's plays uh, throughout the game, and there were two total plays from the first half. One of them was a quarterback sneak. Um, that tells you how bad that team, the, the team was in general in the first half. I do think that they kind of figured a few things out in the second half uh, in terms of where they were going to go with the ball. Uh, you saw a lot of really quality plays from Carson Wentz in terms of extending plays. And you could tell that his ankles are feeling a little bit, a little bit better. And Frank Reich was feeling better in, or at least was more confident in Wentz's ability to get outside the pocket. Uh, so it, it seemed like the Colts as a whole felt more comfortable in the second half. Quite honestly, this game probably could have been over a lot earlier if the defense would have had the Jacoby set put like three balls that were like in defenders hands. Um, you know, Julian Blackman, I think, had one that just came out Darius Leonard the same thing and then there was another one that where Darius had it in his hands um and it was he just he just dropped it it was a, it was a tough catch regardless because I think it was a diving catch um but you know the defense had an opportunity to have more turnovers but ultimately um you know I'm not sure Miami puts up any points in the first half if not for the Colts special team issue um there with the name Hines punt return I, I don't think that they push the ball down the field. I don't think they scored in the first half with, without that because, quite honestly, they didn't. Um, but, yeah, there were there were a lot of things that they need to work on. The offensive line still, they've got to figure that out. It's it's not fun to see Carson Wentz get back there. But at the same time, the Colts defensive line played really well. Like, to force Buckner and Grover Stewart, I still will stand that they are the best defensive tackle combination in the NFL. And you saw it throughout the entire game. And when they finally gave Kamoka Ture some snaps, he was able to put up – he put up two sacks in the first half. Um, and, yeah, they were obvious passing downs. But quite honestly, I, I feel like they need to give the young pass rushers a little bit more time, whether it's Kamoka Ture or Ben Banigou, any of the two, or either of the two, give those guys an opportunity on early downs. Because, remember, teams still pass on first and second down. And so – the, I, I just feel like the Colts need to give those guys an opportunity. And it, it's like fans are like, oh, no, 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 for a second down, you can't put guys that are pass rushers on first and second down. Guys, guys, girls, everybody, who do you think were the Colts' best best defensive ends over the past two decades? It was Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, neither of which were big run-stuffing defensive ends. They were small, faster guys that took advantage of the fast track that you play on in Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, so I just feel like they should give those guys more, more of a chance. But the defensive line looked great, I thought. They limited the the Miami running attack. The offensive line for the Colts needs some work, and that's pretty obvious. Uh, and I thought the linebackers played better uh, than what they have. I, I think that you're seeing as the season goes on, it was something that we talked about to open the season – with Darius Leonard and Bobby Okoruke um, being like a step slow because, you know, Darius didn't play in the preseason at all. And then same thing with Jonathan Taylor. Neither of those guys played in the preseason at all. And now that you're in the fourth game of the season, you're seeing like kind of all that rust get knocked off. And so you're seeing those guys really come out and play well. So I think that the preseason – yeah, it stinks, and some guys get injured during that time, but I think it's a good opportunity for these guys to 
know, take a few hits and get the rust knocked off of them. Let's hit on some pauses from this game, and then we'll dive into maybe a few negatives, then look ahead a little bit to the Baltimore game next Monday, a week from tonight here on ESPN. Let's start off with Carson Wentz, 24 of 32, 228 yards, two touchdowns, got sacked twice. I think the offensive line was uh, mostly the reason why he got sacked. I think one of those sacks probably do that Wentz won the ball too long. But outside of that, pretty flawless game for Carson Wentz, very efficient, took the reads where he got them and really was playing great football. What was your assessment of Carson Wentz on Sunday? Because he looked a lot more mobile. I think an extra day off this upcoming week against Baltimore is going to do him wonders where he might look close to 100% like we saw in week one and early parts of week two. I, I think we're getting to see the regular normal Carson Wentz where he looked nothing like he did last Sunday against Tennessee. He looked like a statue back there. This week kind of showed that pocket mobility where he looked very comfortable back there. And he's really developing a really strong bond right now as far as throwing the ball to Michael Pittman Jr. as well. Yeah, I think Carson Wentz looked a lot more comfortable and you could see it. And one thing that I think is really it's really intriguing about Carson Wentz is that he's able to throw off platform very well. And that's more and more what you're looking for in a franchise quarterback. Um, so you'll see a lot of times he'll roll out and he won't necessarily make that over the top throw that most quarterbacks would make, like where you see like Brady and Manning and, and, and these guys like really just, they have to get positioned and then throw it. Um, Carson Wentz was able to make a couple of throws that were off platform, which means the arm ankle is not necessarily over the top. It's off to the side. It's a little bit sidearm, something like that, but he's still accurate with it. And you saw that a couple of times on rollouts where I think Frank Reich did a good job, a very good job in the second half of moving the pocket. Once he realized that Carson Wentz was able to get a lot more mobile, um, he was able to get Carson Wentz outside. And that's really where Carson excels. And so I was glad that they went ahead and did that. I know there was a stat earlier today that um, – and I'm sure our listeners by now know that I'm not a huge fan of PFF in, in terms of their grading. Um, but they last year they graded Carson Wentz's through 12 games of the season, had 24 turnover-worthy throws. And so far this year that he has zero graded by PFF. And PFF has been like a pretty – uh, they've been pretty down on Carson Wentz kind of period all year. Um, and so far they've shown that he's only been accountable for like 2.4% of his pressures in terms of pressures, hits and sacks. And then now they're saying that he's made zero turnover worthy throws. This is a Carson Wentz that we were hoping for here in Indianapolis this year. It's not what you're getting, not what you got in 2020 uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. You're getting a guy that is, consistent and is careful and is taking what the defense is giving him and not trying to necessarily go outside the offense and kind of free wheel uh, and, and make plays. He's seeing what he's got. And then if he doesn't have it, he'll extend the play a little bit. Um, but he, it seems like he's making better decisions, which I think is directly correlated to his relationship with Frank Reich. Yeah, it's been a great start for Carson Wentz, and I think moving forward here, I think between the balance of this, I've thought about this more and more, especially after yesterday's game. I feel like Carson Wentz might be playing a little bit too safe with some throws. We saw in the second half mm -hmm. of yesterday's game where he's taking some more shots down the field, trusting his receivers more. But I want to see Carson Wentz air the ball out more. I know it's more of a turnover-worthy like period where that could happen and like an interception. But if you're in a position where you can get the ball down the field more – and take less of those risks, I think it's a really smart investment. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think he needs to start. You, you, you've seen, clearly seen that he's throwing that first level pretty well, um, you know, that, that zero to 10 yard range. I want his team start to get into that second and third tier um, in terms of like a, a 15 to 25 yard range for some completions or that, that 10 to 20 yard and then 20 beyond. He's got the arm for it. It's pretty clear that that's not an issue. Um, it, it, it's interesting because his throws really do look effortless. Um, there's some guys that it's just the throwing motion looks labored and that's just not what you get with Carson Wentz. And so I'm interested to see how he starts to develop and how they expand the offense. Cause this is kind of like what we saw with, with Andrew Luck in 2019 um, or in, uh, in 2018, the, the first year Andrew was back um, after his injury is the Frank Reich eased Luck into it. He, he didn't push him. He just, eased him into the offense, tried to get his confidence up, get it moving, kind of make sure you have a really good grasp of the offense. And then you started to see Andrew, as the season progressed, start taking those shots. I think you're going to start seeing that with Carson Wentz because this is just kind of how Frank Reich does it with this offense. And Phillip Rivers last year, it was more of a, you just kind of had to, Phillip was limited in terms of his arm strength. So he excelled in that, first second tier in that zero to 20 yard range um in that that low level mid-level pass um Carson's got a big enough arm where he can excel throughout the entire throughout the entire field and and he's done there's not a route that he can't throw uh, and so I think that's a really cool sign for the Colts and I, I'm really excited about them moving forward Hey Colts fans, this is Evan Satter with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are make up to $0.25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN and get a bonus of $0.25 cents per gallon in your first fill up. That's up to $0.50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price to the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get the $0.50 cents per gallon cash back in your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN, T-O-U-C-H-D-O-W-N, right now. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's go ahead and dive in now to some receivers that really stood out to me on Sunday. First one home is Michael Pittman Jr. He had six receptions for, I believe, 60 yards. Eight targets in this game as well. He's really starting to go way above everyone as far as total targets goes on this Colts offense, really establishing himself as the wide receiver one right now. The chemistry, like I mentioned, between him and Carson Wentz is really getting high up there. What's your thoughts on Pittman? Because I feel like he's becoming a really reliable target for this offense and one where I'm very confident moving forward here. I know it's only four weeks into the season, but he's a guy to me, whether it be your future WR1 or your future WR2, if you go out and get a big name in free agency next offseason, this guy's going to be a huge part of this Colts offense moving forward here. I think he's well on his way to smashing that 100-plus target mark we talked about a couple weeks ago. 
Yeah, I think that he's I think he's definitely stepping into to wide receiver one for Carson Wentz. And, and it's really clear that whenever Carson's in trouble, he throws it to Pittman, even if Pittman's covered. Um, he tries to fit it in there. And it's or, or even if there's just a, a scintilla of space, he'll he'll try to throw it in there to Pittman, which shows that he's got a lot of trust that that Michael Pittman Jr. is gonna make a play. And so, and so far he has, like he's had, you know, to start the season, I think there was a little bit shaky ground between the two, but as the seasons progressed, you're seeing that chemistry build. Um, And this goes along with the fact that Carson Wentz missed basically a month of preseason action, a month of live game action that they would have loved to have him in there for. And now you're really kind of seeing, it's like what we talked about earlier with, the defensive players and, and and Jonathan Taylor and knocking off the rust. Carson Wentz hasn't had that time to develop that chemistry, so they're kind of doing it on the fly. And I think that it's really clear that Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy that Carson Wentz trusts, and that's going to be the guy that he's going to throw to going forward. Another one here, Molly Cox at tight end, two touchdowns in the red zone. I think the Colts might have figured out, throw the ball to your big guys, Pittman, Allie Cox, Mike Strong, he's in the game. Good things usually are going to happen for your offense when you do that, especially around the end zone. Allie Cox had a really amazing grab on that second touchdown, just really mossing it out of someone else's hands. I, I, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about Mahade Cox moving forward here because he had a, a good start the last season as well. Stan. They get three touchdowns in the first four games. Then all of a sudden the Colts just stopped using him the rest of the season. I really hope that's not the case this time around after one good game that they stop going away from Allie Cox because, sure, he's not a burner, but he's a guy, especially in the red zone, where I think Carson Wentz quickly realized on Sunday, if I just throw it up to a guy with massive hands, he's probably going to get the ball more often than not. I really hope that he's more of a feature piece of this offense moving forward because I think his career yards per reception is like 16 yards per reception. This guy is just a yak monster, even with his build and his slower type. He's a guy, especially in the red zone, he can utilize a lot more often here. I want to see the target distribution go really heavily towards Molly Cox in the tight end room. Not really much of Jack Doyle. I want to see more of Molly Cox because he's a guy next year who's a free agent. He's a guy to me where I feel like you have to re-sign him just as your future tight end one if all goes well this year. And on Sunday, he really showed to me that if you get him involved more often, he's going to do great things for you. Yeah, Molly Cox is a guy that in the red zone, he's – He's just an absolute monster. Like, you got to think about it. He's a, a former high-level collegiate basketball player where he's, you know, six, 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 seven, somewhere along those range and can jump. And he has hands that are, like, bigger than most people's heads. Like, he, he mossed Eric Rowe, and Eric Rowe is a solid defensive back um, on that second touchdown. Like, that guy is strong. He's a little pit bull in there. And – Moali Cox just like was like no thank you and I swear I feel like he just caught Eric Rowe too with his hands it's like it's just sickening how how good he is there in the the red zone so I think that you're going to see Moali Cox used a lot more going forward he's gonna I think he's gonna be a priority free agent for them um, because he's a perfect complement to what they want um, to do with Kylan Granson is Kylan Granson's clearly their outrunner he's he's the more athletic tight end no, Ali Cox is the guy that is a solid blocker and can be in there and can play literally all three downs, and he's a weapon. So I feel like Mo Ali Cox, and I, I hope that they progress with him this year. I feel like they will just because Carson Wentz loves to throw to the tight end. I want to say Jack Doyle didn't get a ton of snaps this week, and I don't think it was necessarily injury-related. 
it, but I, I do think that the Colts and the coaching staff, they've got to see how well Molly Cox produced when he was in there, and I think they need to take advantage of it. Last thing on the offense here, Stephen, we'll dive into the defense and look ahead a little bit to next week's game. Jonathan Taylor had another monster game in limited snaps – or limited carries, excuse me. 16 carries, 103 yards, one touchdown. He's averaging 6.4 yards per carry in each of the last few weeks. I think the last half of the season in his rookie year, John Taylor has officially arrived after a rough week one, mostly due to the offensive line. But he's been really great the last couple weeks for this Colts team. You added Naeem Hines, who was – I think he was benched in the first half of that game because of his muff fumble. He only got two snaps in the first half, which really didn't make much sense to me. And then Marlon Mack. He had 10 carries for 22 yards. We take out the 12-yard run, Stephen, uh, nine carries for 10 yards. So Marlon Mack really did not do much at all in his increased number of snaps. What do you think about the running back distribution on Sunday? Because I feel like they're trying to showcase Marlon Mack for a trade, and it might have backfired on them, quite honestly. I mean, yeah, no. I, I think that they were going to give Marlon Mack some snaps just to see what he can do. And he didn't – he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible necessarily. Uh, it wasn't anything – the other part – like you, like you said, you talked about the offensive line. And again, offensive line isn't great right now. And Marlon Mack's not as good as Jonathan Taylor. I think that we all know that at this point. And if, if he were, he'd be the one getting the majority of the carriers. Jonathan Taylor, like, like we talked about earlier, he didn't get any preseason action. So he didn't get that time to really catch himself up to the speed, the pace. And I know we as fans are like, oh, well, they're professional athletes. They should be able to do this. They need to be on 100%. It doesn't matter. Like, if, if you haven't done something for eight months and all of a sudden you're expected to go in and perform at the highest level possible, it, you're not going to – you're more likely than not going to let people down in terms of your performance until you get up to speed. And it takes you a little bit to do it. Some players faster than others – Darius Leonard, I thought, played a good game today. Jonathan Taylor, I thought, played a good game this weekend. And so I'm really excited with how Jonathan Taylor's ran. I think he, he was patient and took his holes and took what the defense and the offensive line gave him. And it really makes a huge difference seeing, you know, Ryan Kelly with another week to kind of recover and, and get that, that elbow healthy. Seeing Chris Reed in there for a full game and getting a chance to have him practice the entire time. Um, you know. Eric Fisher, again, it, the, the tackle situation is, is questionable for the Colts, but, you know, I'm really excited to see what they do going forward in terms of the offensive line. I think Chris Reed is a great option there at left, left guard while Quentin Nelson's out. And secretly, I kind of want him to move over to right guard because I feel like he'd be a much better option than Mark Glowinski over there because I haven't been impressed with Glowinski this season at all. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the running back distribution, I was shocked that Hines didn't get as many carries uh, as I thought he should have because I thought that with how aggressive the Miami pass rush was, I think you could have had a lot of opportunities with Naeem Hines kind of leaking out of the backfield and taking advantage of that. Um, Marlon Mack, I thought he did okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't spectacular. But it wasn't terrible at the same time. Um, you know, he ripped off that 12-yard run. So, you know, he's, his stat line is going to look still look decent. Um, but I think, you know, the jewel of the uh, running back room is definitely Jonathan Taylor, and, and he did what we had hoped he would do. Real quickly, since you brought it up, I was just going to ask you about that. I'm glad you did because he's a guy that really stood out to me on Sunday as well. But Chris Reed at left guard really was making some huge holes for Jonathan Taylor at left guard. In a couple of weeks here, Quentin Nelson will be back. He went on IR. 
due to his high ankle sprain. He'll be back for the game, I believe, against the 49ers in a couple of weeks. He'll be missing the Ravens and the Texans game. But if we see Chris Reeky playing like this, Stephen, I think it'd be kind of upsetting to say, in my opinion, if the Colts don't put Chris Reed at right guard once Nelson is back. Because I feel like, honestly, in only a limited amount of workload, about uh, one and three quarters games, we've seen Chris Reed do more than Mark Lewinsky has this entire season. I, I think the best five guys in the offensive line would probably be Eric Fisher, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Chris Reed flipping from left to right, and then Braden Smith once he's back, I imagine, probably on Monday against the Ravens. What do you think about that? Because I feel like, honestly, that's the Colts' best chance. You have, to, you have to put the best five guys out there on the offensive line, and we've already seen Chris Reed do that the last two games. And if it continues the next two weeks, Tuesday, I feel like it would be really a curious decision why they wouldn't make the move to switch Glowinski out for Chris Reed or right guard. Yeah, it, I mean, it should happen. And this is something that we talked about in the offseason when they signed Chris Reed is I wouldn't I, – I think I've on record on either your podcast or, or on Jared and I's podcast talking about how Chris Reed, if given the opportunity, I think he should replace Mark Glowinski. So I haven't been impressed with Glowinski for the past couple of years. Um, and I thought that Chris Reed would have an opportunity to push him. And if the Colts are going to kind of practice what they preach, um, even, you know, given Frank Reich in his you know ministerial uh, presence there, uh, you feel like he's got to start. Um, over there at right guard, it, you feel like it's got to be Eric Fisher, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Chris Reed, and Braden Smith, and that's your five guys. And if they really do mean the best five guys are going to play, it, it'd be hard for me to sit there and say Mark Lewinsky's played better than Chris Reed this season because, quite frankly, he hasn't. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports hots on your phone, and you got your neighbor's best friends logging for the good stuff. What I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Colts fans, what's your favorite Bilt Bar? If you haven't tried a Bilt Bar, you're certainly missing out on the nine delicious flavors they have, including coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. They also have a limited time flavor right now called Cookie Dough Chunk, which I recently tried. And it's by far the most incredible one I've had so far. Built Bar continues to outdo itself. It tastes nothing like a protein bar. It's like a, a cheat meal with a candy bar almost taste to it. But it's super healthy for you. The Built Bar is easily the best protein bar ever that I've tasted and everyone else has as well. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, all within 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar as well added onto it. There's 9 amazing flavors plus the limited time ones as well that are all tasty and all healthy for you. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 50% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Yeah, I love the idea of bringing back Chris Reed on a one- or two-year deal next year, put him at right guard, get like a fifth or sixth-round comp pick from Mark Lewinsky in the 2023 draft, and you kind of just have that be a wash there, or even an upgrade, just to get an extra draft pick out of that. Lewinsky will probably start somewhere else. He'll be one of the best guards in the market this upcoming offseason in free NC at right guard. But let's dive into defense real quick, Stephen, from this game. Colts win 27-17 over the Dolphins. They're now 1-3 and three on the season. 
Kamoko Ture, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Taekwon Lewis, the whole front four really flashed a lot in this game. No quitty pay but due to the hamstring injury, but they really didn't need him that much when you had Kamoko Ture put up two sacks. What was your assessment of the front four there? Because once Quiddy Pay gets back, this was like a game to me where this front four really could gain some confidence moving forward here, especially going against Lamar Jackson next next Monday, where it's going to be huge for this front four to do what they just did to Jacoby Brissett on Sunday. Yeah, and I, I'm going to hold off on, on making that comparison with Lamar Jackson um, and talking about that game until later on in the episode. Um, I I was really excited about how the defensive line played. I thought Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner just wrecked havoc on the interior of the Miami deep offensive line um, and put a lot of pressure on Jacoby Brissett in his face, which, as we all know, Jacoby didn't, doesn't like that. Um, Kamoka Ture, Taekwon Lewis, and even Al-Kadim Muhammad, I know I've been, been sour on him the first couple of weeks of the season. The past two games, he's played pretty well. So I'm, you know, at this, you have credit where it's due. I think that he's put in work and, He's shown that, you know, he deserves an opportunity to play in this. Uh, I wish that they would play Kamoko Ture more because when they have played him, he's made plays. Um, and there are certain plays where you get the defensive ends that cause pressure that flush Brissett out of the pocket where they almost had sacks. And I know almost doesn't count, but it changed the entire part of the play um it, it, the trajectory of the play in terms of what Miami wanted to do and something goes to that too is being able to make a quarterback feel uncomfortable in the pocket and that's what the defensive line was able to do throughout the entire game and if they're able to do that and make Lamar Jackson feel uncomfortable throughout the entire game then the Colts you know could pull off an upset on on Monday night the the trouble is the Colts cannot let Lamar Jackson roll out of the pocket like they allowed Jacoby Brissett to roll out of the pocket because that's where Lamar Jackson is the most dangerous. Yeah, let's go ahead and dive into it. We've really covered the bases there. The front four really stood out defensively on Sunday, 27-17. The Colts finally get a win on the season. Now we're heading into a huge game, this time next Monday, in Baltimore against the Ravens. It's going to be a ruckus atmosphere there. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is a huge quarterback to go up against. You have the running game still. That's still great, even though they lost three running backs. They have Latavius Murray now. They have Tyson Williams. It's a great one-two punch they have. Lamar Jackson can obviously run himself. I think Rashad Bateman can be making the season debut next Monday as well off of IR. So they're going to be adding a weapon in the past game. Sammy Watkins is currently their wide receiver one. But I'm checking the spread right now. The Colts are seven-point underdogs next Sunday – or next Monday, excuse me, against the Baltimore Ravens. What's your thoughts on this, team? Because I feel like this could be a game where – the Colts, what John Taylor showed me the last couple of weeks, I think this is a game where you could put Taylor in there, give him 20 carries and see what happens, play ball control, keep the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands, have Carson Wentz play a really smart game. I don't know if the Colts will win this game, Stephen, but I feel like it's going to actually be a pretty close game if they can follow a similar script to what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, I feel like seven points is way too much. Um, to I, I would, I mean, if I were betting, and I don't don't normally, but if I was going to bet that, I bet the Colts and the points. Um, because I feel like the Colts have played better teams and they've had closer games. Um, the, the Ravens are such a tough team to figure out because they'll have weeks where they play awesome. And then they'll have weeks where they need a 66 yard field goal to beat Detroit. So I, I don't know what to make of the Ravens. Uh, I'm not particularly worried about, Lamar Jackson in terms of throwing the ball downfield um, because the, with Lamar Jackson, if you keep him in the pocket, 
yeah, you've got Hollywood Brown on the outside that that's a speedster out there, but Lamar Jackson isn't accurate enough in the pocket to be able to hit that if you're able to get pressure. What Lamar Jackson, what most dangerous part about Lamar Jackson is when he gets outside the pocket and he's able to extend plays with the legs, which unfortunately has been the biggest issue for the Colts for the past two years, is when quarterbacks are able to get out to the pocket and extend plays with their legs, the defense breaks down, you know, offense is able to find a lot of holes. I mean, it, it's what happened with Russell Wilson. Um, it happened with, you know, Josh Allen last year in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's a big issue for the Colts. Um, even Jacoby Brissett this past week, when he was able to extend plays by getting outside the pocket, it gave the Colts some trouble. And so Lamar Jackson is just another level of weapon. And you got to hope that Darius Leonard is all right, because if he's not 100 percent or if he's not at least like 90 percent, then Lamar Jackson could put up some pretty decent rushing numbers. Um, and the way that the Colts defense has played with those deep balls that now the difference is Devontae Parker is more of a jump ball, deep ball guy. Um, Marquise Brown is not. Hollywood Brown is not a jump ball guy. Um, I'd feel very confident with any of the Colts corners against Hollywood Brown. Um, Sammy Watkins, I, you never know what kind of Sammy Watkins you're going to get in a given game. So that's the tough part is the Ravens are such a variable team in terms of unpredictability that you don't know whether they're going to be the good Ravens or the bad Ravens they typically get hyped for big primetime games. So I assume that they're going to be the good Ravens this week. And so the Colts are going to have to put up some good numbers. And if they lean on Jonathan Taylor and they lean on that offensive line and they're able to just basically take the air out of the football um, and take the air out of the stadium, I think the Colts have a, have a decent shot of at least keeping within seven points and, you know, maybe an outside shot to win it. Stephen, as always, enjoy having you on here. We'll be covering the Ravens game more in-depth throughout this week, including our crossover special with Locked on Ravens here on Wednesday. But as always, Stephen, enjoy having you on. Colton's go ahead and follow Stephen if you haven't already on Twitter at NiceReadSteve. And go read and listen to his work, as always, over on Stampede Blue. Stephen, appreciate the time tonight. All right. Thanks, Evan. Have a great one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.